I see a vast city whose glory will touch the stars. I see a place in the middle of a forest where a steep cliff rises above the Vultava River. There is a man who is chiseling the threshold for the house. A castle named Praha will be built there. Just as the princes and the dukes stoop in front of the threshold, they will bow to the castle and to the city around it. It will be honored, favored with great repute, and praise will be bestowed upon it by the entire world. Princess Labouche. This is Brad the Nomad, the podcast of an American's eclectic look at the history, culture, and wonders of Europe. And now, Brad the Nomad. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Brad the Nomad. On this episode, we'll be discussing the city I'm hoping to make the home base for my adventures in Europe, Prague in the Czech Republic. Once thought of by the West as a dark, brooding city, somewhere beyond the Iron Curtain, Prague is rapidly becoming one of Europe's hottest travel destinations, and was recently picked by Travel Advisor as the fifth best city to visit in the world. While people come for the beer and architecture, the history of Prague is the city's star attraction. The city has played host or supporting role to some of the defining events in European history, including the forerunning of the Reformation, the Thirty Years' War, both World Wars, and the Cold War. Though its fortunes have risen and ebbed throughout its tumultuous lifetime, it has attracted visitors and residents ranging from Mozart to Kafka, from Hitler to Havel. Among the stories I'll be sharing are the vision that gave Prague its name, the leaders that spurred its development, executions that changed the course of European history, and a very eccentric word, and also how a priceless part of Prague's heritage was saved by the most unlikely of people for a very dark purpose. So get yourself a pilsner and get the goulash ready. Let's discuss the mother of cities, Prague. Prague, or Praha if you're Czech, is the capital of the Czech Republic, not Czechoslovakia. It doesn't exist anymore. The Czech Republic itself is a small, landlocked country in Central Europe. Prague is located in the northwest part of the country, in a region known as Bohemia. With a population of 1.3 million people, it is the largest city in the Czech Republic and the 22nd largest city in Europe. Situated on the Vltava River, Prague enjoys a temperate climate of warm summers and chilly winters. Winters are relatively dry, whereas the summers see the most precipitation. Looking at a map of Prague shows a city built mostly to the south of a large sideways U-shaped curve in the Vltava River. To the northwest, you'll find Haradchane. This is the location of Prague Castle, the city's most famous attraction. South of that is the Lesser Quarter, the oldest part of the city and host to a wonderful collection of Baroque buildings. This neighborhood is connected by the famous Charles Bridge to Old Town, which serves as the epicenter of tourist life in Prague. You'll find here the Old Town Square, complete with its famed astronomical clock, and ancient streets lined with stores directed towards the transient crowds. Directly south of the Old Town is the New Town. New is relative, considering that the New Town was laid out in the 14th century. Built around the center point of Wenceslas Square, the New Town is host to shops, restaurants, and cultural institutions. To the north of Old Town is Yosefov, the old Jewish ghetto. Prague was home to one of the largest and most robust Jewish communities in Europe until the Nazis came. To the east are Vinorade, a leafy neighborhood built on old wine-growing fields, and Zizhkov, a trendy gentrifying area. Finally, to the north are Lentna, 
known for its large, lush park, and Troja, with a zoo and botanical garden that makes the area a day-trip destination within the bustling city. With the fall of the Iron Curtain, Prague has become one of the great cultural destinations of Europe. As the leading city of the Czech Republic, many state institutions are based here, including the Estates Theater and the National Theater. The musically inclined will appreciate the famous Prague Spring Festival. The festival celebrates both outstanding artists from around the world and the Czech people's own musical greats like Anton Dvořák and the beloved Biedrich Smetana. If classical music isn't your thing, Prague is also a must-hear for the jazz and organ music crowds. If you're more of a visual person, the city boasts a world-class collection of museums, including the Jewish Museum of Prague, the National Gallery, and the National Museum. Architecturally, Prague's buildings run the range of medieval Prague Castle to the postmodern Dancing House by Frank Gehry. With Romanesque, Renaissance, Gothic, Cubist, and Art Nouveau all represented, it's a collection of styles almost unmatched in all of Europe. Its well-preserved historic center, spare the fate of nearby Dresden in World War II, is one of the best in the world and proudly hosts UNESCO World Heritage Certification. You're also not lacking in churches. There's a reason why one of Prague's nicknames is the City of a Hundred Spires, even if the official count today is more like 500. Oh, and if you like movies, you may have already seen a Prague cameo, a diverse collection of films including Mission Impossible, Doom, Triple X, and Hellboy have been filmed either on location or in the studios near the city. As for food, Prague is one of the hottest culinary scenes in Europe. Said no one ever. Don't get me wrong, Praguers eat hearty, but expect a diet heavy in goulash, dumplings, smoked meat. Still, there are groups in Prague pushing for more variety and innovation, and they're gradually making headway. Attempts to expand the palate are best epitomized by the annual Prague Food Festival, with entries from all over the country. Hmm. So, art, museums, architecture, culture, am I missing anything? Ah, right. Pivo, or as you Yanks would call it, beer. Prague is home to hundreds of bars serving world-famous Czech beer, and also hosts the Czech Beer Festival in May, 17 barley fuel days, which allow more mobile bar flies to sample over 70 kinds of the pale stuff. And with the famed Pilsner Brewery not too far away in day-trip accessible Pilsner, beer lovers will not go wanting in this city. And that's my brief snapshot of Prague today. Let's get to our main topic, though, the history of this amazing city. Human habitation in the Bohemian Basin stretches back all the way to the Paleolithic Age. Evidence of hominid life, including stone tools and campfire sites, has been dated as far back as 250,000 BCE. After the last Ice Age, farming, and with it settled habitation, first appeared in the area at about 4,000 BCE, about the same time as the unification of Egypt and the founding of the Sumer city-states, if you need a world history perspective. During the Bronze and Iron Ages, the basin filled with small settlements near the Voltava, but never on the banks of the river itself due to its tendency to unleash catastrophic flooding. Promising trade routes and hunting brought Celtic tribes to the area, chief among them the Boy in around 500 BCE, who would give the region its modern name of Bohemia. By the end of the 1st century BCE, what would become Prague had been chiefly settled by Germanic tribes. While Rome never occupied the area, its ever-growing empire influenced the region, causing periodic invasions by other Germanic tribes. 
When the Roman Empire fell in the 5th century CE, the resulting mass migrations forced many Germanic tribes to leave the area, and eventually Slavic peoples took their place. German influence would be felt long into Prague's history. Several settlements were said to be established in the area where Prague stands today, but it was in the 9th century that the name Prague first appeared. There are a few theories as to the etymology of the city's name. The most compelling comes from the old Slavic root word of Praga, or Ford, pointing to the city's location on the Vltava. Others suggest that it comes from Napraze, the original name for the type of stone used to build the first castle. Perhaps the most romantic origin for Prague's name comes from its founding myth, the story of Princess Libuche. The youngest of three daughters, Libuche was wise and possessed the gift of seeing the future. Upon sharing the vision from the start of our episode, she instructed her counselors to found the new city where a man made the best use of his teeth at midday. The men met a man building a house, using a saw as others ate lunch. When asked what he was working on, the man simply said, Threshold, or as it would be said in Czech, Pra. The rest will be history. By 800 CE, a rudimentary fort and wooden buildings occupied much of the site of modern-day Prague Castle. The castle itself will continue to grow over the centuries, eventually becoming one of the largest fortifications in Europe. A second, smaller fortification was built south of the original settlement, but it would eventually be abandoned as a seat of power by 1135, and its ruins are today a tourist attraction. With the city ideally situated for trade, Prague grew over the next five centuries, becoming one of the major hubs of Central Europe. Among the many groups drawn to settle here were Jews. Prague's rise in the Old Kingdom of Bohemia was further spurred by the Primicilid dynasty, which established the city as the seat of its power. The Primicilid claimed origin all the way back to the mythical princess Libouche, who was said to have chosen a farmer named Primicil as her husband. As a sign of the city's growing influence, a bishopric was established on the grounds of Prague Castle in 973. But by 1002, 1041 at the latest, Prague was but one of many vassal states of the Holy Roman Empire, and Czech kings were subject to its rule. Political intrigue and tragedy abounded in these medieval streets. Perhaps the most famous example was the murder of Prince Wenceslas by his brother Boleslav the Cruel for advocating closer relations with the Saxon Empire on September 28, 929. If that name sounds familiar, it should. Today he is the patron saint of the Czech Republic, and he has a rather catchy seasonal song about him. Talks about him looking out on the Feast of Stephen at snow laying round about, deep and crisp and even. You've probably heard it. The Premishilid dynasty ended in 1306, when its final king died without an heir. There were recurrent floods from the Vltava, a problem even modern Prague deals with. In one such flood in 1342, the Judith Bridge collapsed. Later that decade came the Black Death. While it was originally thought that the city was spared the worst of this plague, recent research suggests that Prague suffered much like all the other cities of Europe. After the horrors of the Black Death, Prague entered its Golden Age. In 1346, Charles IV became king of Bohemia. After winning Prague the honor of an archbishopric, he rebuilt Prague Castle and other fortifications in the area. He founded Charles University in 1348, founded the new town that same year. You should keep in mind that when I say Prague, I'm actually talking about four separate towns that will be merged into Prague in 1784. He also had work started on Prague's most iconic structures, the beautiful Charles Bridge to replace the Judith Bridge, and St. Vitus Cathedral within the walls of Prague Castle. St. Vitus 
would only be completed in 1929. When Charles was crowned emperor of the Holy Roman Empire in 1355, he moved the capital to Prague. Having been radically rebuilt by an emperor who wanted it to be one of the most beautiful and imposing cities on the continent, Prague's star had never been higher. But it wouldn't last. When Charles died in 1378, power passed onto his son Wenceslas IV. During his reign, Charles University rector Jan Hus preached in Czech about his ideas to reform the church, in a forerunning of the Protestant Reformation. Hus protested the corruption of the church and urged for an end to its opulent lifestyle. Excommunicated, then called to account for what he was saying, he was found guilty of heresy and burned at the stake in Constance, Germany in 1415. But his words struck a chord with the people of Prague, and in 1419 they rebelled. This led to the first defenestration of Prague. What's a defenestration? Well, when a mob of Hussites, followers of Jan Hus's teachings, marched past the new town hall, one of the men inside hurled a stone at them. Enraged, the group of men ran into the building, rounded up, depending on your source, 10 to 13 of the men inside, and threw them out a window, beating them to death if they survived. This act is called defenestration, hence the term defenestration of Prague. Supposedly, due to the shock of this mass execution, Wenceslas died and his younger stepbrother Sigismund marched on Prague with 30,000 soldiers to claim a crown that was rightfully his. In 1420, Sigismund's forces engaged an army of peasants led by Jan Zizka. Fighting on a hill north of the city called Vitkov Hill, Zizka and his Hussite allies rebuffed Sigismund's attempts to lay siege to the city. The victory would be short-lived for the more radical Hussites, as after Zizka died, the alliance between the various Hussite groups faltered, and Sigismund eventually had his crown in 1434, ending the Hussite Wars. Vitkov Hill and its environs were named Zizkov, in honor of the city's defender. In 1483, the imperial seat went to Vienna, and Prague stagnated. Prague enjoyed a smaller Second Golden Age, though, with the coronation of Rudolf II in 1576. Rudolf returned the imperial seat to Prague in 1583, and his court included such luminaries as the astronomers Tycho Brahe and Jonas Kepler, and the artist Giuseppe Archimiboldo. He was an avid art collector, keenly interested in the works of Renaissance artists like Tinian. Although he was a patron of the arts that did much to revitalize the city, Rudolf II lived as a recluse, and was thought to be mad, homosexual, eccentric, or perhaps all three. Feeling the effects of the Protestant Reformation, and the pressure of the Protestant estates, Rudolf established the most encompassing religious freedoms in early modern Europe with his Imperial Charter of the Emperor. This action emboldened the German Protestants that had been migrating to Bohemia by the beginning of the 1600s, and on May 23, 1618, they had a defenestration of their own, throwing two Catholic governors and their secretary out a window of Prague Castle in protest of the ascension of the intolerant Archduke Ferdinand to the Habsburg throne. The good news is that these three men survived. The bad news is because it was largely due to landing in a pile of horse manure. The really bad news is that this triggered the catastrophic Thirty Years' War, and the Catholics came back two years later in 1620. On November 8th of that year, 30,000 Bohemians were routed by 27,000 Habsburg soldiers under the command of the Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand II in the Battle of White Mountain. Upon retaking Prague, the victorious forces sacked the city and executed 27 Protestant leaders in the Old Town Square in 1621, leaving the heads of 12 rebellion leaders on pikes as a warning to anyone else who would dare challenge the authority of the church. The assault also marked the beginning of almost 300 years of Habsburg dominance over Prague. 
1648, the Swedes attacked Prague, engaging a group of Jews and peasants on the Charles Bridge that successfully held off the invasion, but Prague Castle was looted, scattering Rudolf's art collection. The Swede assault on Prague marked the end of the Thirty Years' War. While the Protestants were allowed to continue their practices at war's end, Bohemia was devastated by the conflict and famine, and reduced the status of de facto Austrian province. The imperial seat was again moved to Vienna, and Prague declined. The city lost two-thirds of its population, plunging from 60,000 to 20,000. As if to rub salt in, the city was devastated by a great fire in 1689. The period after the fire saw the golden age of Prague's Jewish community. Like other major cities in Europe, Prague's Jewish residents were sealed off from the rest of the city in a walled ghetto. But the community within thrived, and by the 17th century, the ghetto held a population of 15,000, or 30,000 of the city's total population. Prague was home to the largest Ashkenazic community in the world, and the second largest Jewish population in Europe. The most famous resident of the ghetto during its golden age was the Maharal of Prague, Rabbi Judah Lova. Rabbi Lova is best known for his mythical creation, the Golem, a creature created from clay given life to protect the Jews of Prague. Prague recovered from the trials of war, famine, and fire, spurred by a growing population of merchants. Rebuilding the city and filling it with gorgeous Baroque houses, the merchants reestablished Prague as a great trading center. This rebirth was threatened in 1745, when Maria Theresa ordered the Jews of Prague to be expelled for supposedly collaborating with the Prussians, but they were allowed to return three years later. The city suffered the sting of war once again in 1757, when it was occupied by the Prussians during the Seven Years' War. In 1781, Holy Roman Emperor Yosef II emancipated the Jews with his Toleration Edict, allowing them to live outside of the walls of the ghetto for the first time. In 1850, the old Jewish ghetto would be renamed Yosefov, or Yosefstadt, or Joseph City, in his honor. With growing economic strength from the merchants flooding into the city, Prague slowly reestablished itself as one of the great cities of Europe. Many came to Prague drawn by both economic and cultural opportunities. Mozart visited Prague four times in his life, and his masterpiece Don Giovanni was debuted at the Estates Theatre on October 29, 1787. This flowering of culture helped fuel the Czech national revival. In the late 18th century and into the 19th, the Czech people strained at the restraints of Vienna, demanding greater cultural and political autonomy within the empire. As Austrian rule relaxed, Prague became the center of a rediscovery of Czech culture and history. The Czech language, dismissed as guttural in the courts, became central to life in Bohemia and neighboring Moravia, as did Czech literature and music. Prague experienced some of the revolutions that roiled Europe in 1848, but they were ruthlessly put down by the Habsburgs. At the end of the century, the Jews of the old ghetto leveled it, and most of the neighborhood was rebuilt in the vein of Hussman's Paris with grand boulevards and beautiful buildings, leaving only six synagogues, one of which is today the oldest synagogue in Europe. They also preserved the old cemetery and the Jewish town hall, this collection of buildings now making up the Jewish museum. Prague became an industrial city as the Industrial Revolution swept through Europe, absorbing the old suburb of Carlin in the process. The growing city and the challenges it created would serve as an inspiration for many Czech artists and writers, among them Franz Kafka. These profound cultural changes were echoed by ethnic ones. Historically dominated by German, Czech, and Jewish groups, the German population declined as the Czech population rose, and the Jewish community grew within the borders of the old ghetto. The short 20th century was a very tumultuous period for the city. Archduke Franz Ferdinand, 
heir to the Austrian throne, lived in a castle near Prague. Listening to the growing Czech nationalist movement, which had held a majority in Prague's town council since 1861, Ferdinand planned to expand the Austro-Hungarian dualism into a triple Austro-Hungarian-Czech empire upon his ascension. Unfortunately, he was assassinated in Sarajevo on June 28, 1914, starting the path to World War I. As a city of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Prague's troops fought for the Central Powers. With the collapse of the empire at the end of the war, the Czech and Slovak regions declared their independence and formed Czechoslovakia, with Prague as its capital, in 1918. By 1930, the city was a modern industrial European capital with a population of 850,000. But it was the capital of a country whose neighbors looked on enviously at its land, its industry, and its resources. Prague's darkest days began on March 15, 1939, when it was occupied by the German army. Two days earlier, Adolf Hitler threatened Czechoslovak leader Emil Hacha with bombing the city, a demand that gave the elderly man a near-fatal heart attack. Now in his first non-German conquest, Hitler installed himself in the finest rooms of Prague Castle to oversee the annexation of the rump state of Czechoslovakia into the Reich. The dismembered nation, crippled from the loss of the Sudetenland after the Munich Agreement a year earlier, was divided into the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia and the puppet state of Slovakia. The city endured a brutal occupation, and a resistance movement operated throughout the war. Their greatest success came on May 27, 1942, when British-trained Czech resistance fighters ambushed the leader of the occupation, Reinhard Heydrich. Heydrich had assumed that his Czechs would never dare raise a finger against him, a bomb was thrown at Heydrich's car, wounding him. The wound became infected from the car's horsehair seat stuffing, and he died on June 4th. The Nazi response was brutal. The assassins were tracked down to a church, where after a protracted shootout, they shot themselves rather than face Nazi capture. 10,000 Czechs were arrested, of whom 1,300 were killed. The most famous of the reprisals came with the complete eradication of the nearby village of Lidice whose residents were either shot or deported to concentration camps. Although the human toll of World War II was great, Prague survived with remarkably little physical damage, suffering an accidental raid on February 15, 1945. The payload was actually meant for Dresden, which was undergoing the raid that would make its name infamous in warfare. As the Third Reich collapsed, the Czech resistance staged an uprising. Although it was defeated by the German occupiers after three days, the Soviet Red Army approached from the southeast and liberated Prague in the last military campaign of the European War, on May 9, 1945. Prague was the last major city held by the Nazis. Even Berlin had fallen more than a week earlier. The war saw the destruction of two ethnic groups that had shaped the city's history. In response to the brutal German occupation, the reformed Czech government expelled German citizens from the city. The Jewish community of Prague had all but vanished in the furnaces of the Final Solution. Out of a pre-war population of 40,000, only 1,200 survived to see liberation. The subsequent Soviet occupation would see many more fleeing to exile. Ironically, the synagogues and cemetery of the old Jewish quarter had survived. Why? The Nazis planned to make them a core of a museum to the extinct race once Europe was firmly under their domination. The collection of confiscated artifacts intended to form that museum are now the core of the Jewish Museum. Due to the British and French governments signing away the Sudetenland in Munich, the Czechs felt very wary of trusting the West, and instead expressed gratitude towards the Soviets for liberating their country. 
That gratitude was shown to be misplaced in 1948, when a communist coup installed a Stalinist regime. Show trials were held in Prague, and the intellectual and cultural communities went into exile or were forced underground. In 1967, a strong statement against the regime by the 4th Czechoslovakian Writers' Congress inspired the new leader of the country's Communist Party, Alexander Dubček, to proclaim a series of democratic reforms. Dubbing it Socialism with a Human Face, Dubček saw his reforms as a new period in the life of Czechoslovakia. This brief period of cultural flowering was dubbed the Prague Spring. Moscow's response was quick and brutal. In August 1968, a Soviet-led invasion occupied Prague and deposed Dubček in the first example of the Brezhnev Doctrine, the defense of any socialist regime deemed under threat of returning to capitalism. In protest of Soviet actions, Czech student Jan Palak immolated himself in Wenceslas Square in 1969, becoming a national martyr. Prague suffered physically under Soviet occupation as well. Corruption within the regime discouraged any meaningful reconstruction, historical buildings crumbled, and heavy industry from the planned economy darkened the beautiful city with coal and soot, giving it a grimy appearance. But Prague would have her deliverance. In November 1989, fed up with corruption and stifling communist rule, the denizens of the city took to Wenceslas Square in the Velvet Revolution. Their symbolic protest was a simple act. Jingling their house keys to tell the regime that it was time to go home. The peaceful protests ended after 10 days when famed dissident playwright Vacheslav Havel announced the end of communist rule with Alexander Dubček at his side. Both men took on leadership roles in the government of a free Czechoslovakia, the first not to be dominated by communists in 41 years. But the Slovaks yearned for independence as well, and in 1993 the Velvet Divorce, the peaceful splitting of Czechoslovakia into the Czech Republic and Slovakia, was made official. Prague became the capital of the Czech Republic, and emerged from behind the Iron Curtain to retake its place as one of the great cultural centers of Europe. It was swept up by globalization in the 1990s, while at the same time launching a concerted effort to revitalize its architectural treasures. Although there have been difficulties to overcome since the fall of communism, such as the anti-IMF protests of 2000, the bumpy relationship with the European Union since joining in 2004, and terrible flooding from the Voltava in recent years, Prague is looking ahead to the future with confidence, strength, and a reborn sense of identity. Well, that about wraps up what I have to say so far about the mother of cities. I do apologize if your favorite story got wayside or ignored altogether. Trust me, a lot of the topics, events, and people I've brushed over in this brief overview, I plan to give a full episode at some point. What I wanted to do with this is just to establish for the curious, and myself, what Prague is like. Join me on the next episode of Brad the Nomad, where I'll tell you another story from the annals of European history. Until then, happy travels. Happy travels.